This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. All right. Well, hello out there, everyone, and thank you all very much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, my name is David Vaucher, and I lead IHS Markets North American Upstream Onshore Services Research. I'm very happy to have my colleagues here today. So first off, we have uh, Brandon Savisky, who's our profit expert. Hi, how you doing? Then I'm also joined by Jesus Ozuna, who runs uh, market activity research as well as pressure pumping. Hi, good morning, everyone. And we've also got uh, Paula Perez-Pena, who runs water, cement, and also leads the upstream activity research. Good morning, and thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, so thank you very much for joining us today. It should be a fun uh, conversation. And just to set the scene, so we are in uh, 2020. 2020 is just about halfway over, but feels like it could have been a decade at this point. And if you can remember all the way back to March, we were in the throes of really what you could call chaos. Uh, as a matter of fact, that was the lead-in title of our last webinar, uh, which we will link to uh, in the show notes. But really, I think chaotic is the best way to describe the situation. You had the collapse of the Vienna Alliance talks. You had uh, the full global implications of COVID-19 being felt. And really, you had the upstream industry realizing that the sort of uh, down 2020 that they were preparing for uh, was going to be far, far worse than anyone could have ever imagined. And even uh, you know, worse on a historic scale. This is something that just really hasn't been seen before. And so what I'm hoping that my team and I can do for all the listeners out there is really provide clarity, not just on the general picture for upstream in North America, but also take a look at how um, different suppliers are faring on a segment by segment basis, specifically uh, propent, pressure pumping, and upstream water. So I think the, the best way to start is really to understand what activity levels look like generally in North America. So, Paula, I'll throw it to you. How exactly has DNC activity been affected by the recent collapse in oil price? Yeah, David, well, it is not a secret for anybody that 2020 has seen a historical decrease in activity. So let's start looking at rigs. And if we look at the rig count, it has dropped more than 500 rigs since January reaching around 280 rigs as of last week. That is almost 60% decrease in six months, right? So this, this is a huge decrease and it will continue dropping. In fact, we expect that the second half of this year uh, we'll see rigs go under 200, you know, for the U.S. onshore. So, like, the, the drop will continue and it will reach levels that we've never seen. I actually remember uh, when we first published our forecast back on April that some clients and even some people in, inside IHS were quite surprised that we were forecasting rig count below 300 um, rigs. 
right? And, and it was like, it's a huge drop. I mean, is this really going to happen? And here we are, like as of last week, as I said, 280 rigs. So the activity has decreased quite significantly. Now we look at um, fractured wells. The reduction in activity has been also drastic. Like we went from having around 3,500 fractured wells in the first quarter of this year. And we're expecting to see uh, a fractured well count of around 600 for Q4. So if we look at the whole year, uh, we're expecting to see around an 80 percent uh, decrease in fractured wells. So if, we, if you look at rigs, if you look at fractured wells, like even uh, frag stages, they are all seeing a significant decrease, like right? above 50 percent, and then they ch it changes based on you know what a specific uh, parameter we're looking at. One thing that we that we need to keep in mind, though, is that this accelerated reduction in activity is leaving behind DUCs. And going forward, well, the, the natural thing is that operators will focus on converting those DUCs, you know, like towards the end of the year, beginning of 2021. Excellent. No, that's great. And I think Hey, Jesus, I don't want to maybe spoil any surprises if you can really call these these types of things a surprise, because I think everyone knows the answer, but definitely interested in getting your commentary on this. Uh, what region or regions do you think will be the most affected? And I think even if we maybe all can anticipate what region might be affected uh, negatively, do you think there might be a play that represents a bit of a bright spot in comparison? Uh, yes, David. So. In general, you know, like you stated, there the focus has been in on the negative in the plays that have seen a massive reduction in activity, such as the Permian, Bakken, Eagleford. But there are some bright spots in North America, specifically focusing on the gas plays, and most importantly, the Marcellus Utica um, region. So there, we do ex we do see activity shifting over and. Um, oil fuel service companies shifting their activity there because the price of gases was already um, very depressed pre-COVID-19. Excellent. No, that's 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 great context. And so I think what we're doing now is we're, we're setting the scene to say that, okay, things maybe have leveled out, but now let's look at some of the longer-term um, implications for specific service branches. And so I think you know, before we we jump into um, the, I guess, the more granular topics, if you can say that with Propin, I think, Jesus, I want to stick with you and uh, and look at pumping. So we've spoken uh, about general activity trends in North America. How exactly do you see specifically now activity in the hydraulic fracturing market uh, rebounding due to, you know, an upswing? We can definitely call it that, uh, an upswing in prices since March. And then kind of what's the outlook look like for maybe 2020 and then a couple of years after that? So the upswing in prices um, has provided some level of stability, mostly ranging, mostly consolidated to the EMPs, um, and it provides them the stability to be able to uh, reorganize their their financials and focus on um, securing cash flow uh, for paying off debt 
um, in interest coming up interest payments. But for the oil field service companies and specifically for the pumping, with the high volatility in the market, um, there's actions that are being taken now that are independent of the price of oil, and we don't foresee those decisions that have been made quite drastic decisions in reducing workforce, um, reducing uh, uh, budgets and costs um, dramatically shifting in the next three months or even nine months from now and a couple of quarters from now because these decisions have very, very uh, pronounced and um, long-term consequences. And it's not as easy to go ahead and just say, well, we fired or we let go um, you know, 5,000 employees and then we're going to bring them back on immediately. So, um, and then the prices over the past couple of weeks have started to level off and, and recently have begun to fall again. So there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of volatility. We don't see the price upswing that occurred over the past couple of months have large uh, implications in the long-term implication and in, in the long-term forecast. Now, we do expect to see some activity to begin to recover um, in the late stages of, of 2021, beginning around 2Q, 3Q 2021, once this new environment um, becomes the norm. Uh, within the industry, we do expect some some activity uptick, but for right now, for the next year, we we really don't foresee any dramatic increase, unless there is a black swan event that causes uh, oil price to skyrocket, and then we might find ourselves in in a different situation where um, pumping pump, pumping suppliers are are scrambling to go online because of the dramatic sure. demand. Sure. So now uh, taking it, you know, one step farther down the value chain. So Brandon Savisky, you unfortunately, I say unfortunately, you have the uh, task of reporting every quarter on a market that uh, has been down for a long time, right? I think this is a market that has been uh, viewed as being distressed for, for quite some time now, even leading up to 2020. So can you maybe just set the scene briefly for what 2019 looked like? And then uh, also provide a picture of what we're looking at for 2020 and maybe a, a couple years out into the future. Yeah, gladly. I mean, you pretty much summed it up. Uh, you don't really need to fly to a very high level uh, to get a view. Uh, essentially gone from worse to horrible. And the previous bad is uh, looking awfully good now. Uh, to add a little perspective, we estimate the annual demand degradation of roughly 64% from the end of 2019 to 2021, which uh, if you would look a bit further uh, compared to 2014 and 2015, it's a far greater uh, destructive magnitude in demand, uh, which they saw about 30%. And that's obviously easy to uh, calculate, which is greater than half. Uh, the downturn in 2014 and 20. 2016 also took about six quarters to reach its uh, demand for, and uh, we expect to hit bottom in just half the time, about three months. Now, currently on the supply side, the environment remains extremely fav favorable for uh, consuming EMPs, uh, and it's nearly unsustainable for the sand suppliers. The market remains highly oversupplied. And the shrinking 
demand in a high supply environment uh, has continued to suppress prices, as you mentioned. Uh, and it's resulted in sand suppliers generating minimal growth profit margins. IHS market has continued to emphasize the value in not only monitoring supplier financial health, but uh, also collaborating and facilitating transparency with the chosen source partners. Uh, as you'll only hurt yourself in your, in your own supply chain through pushing a high-risk source through the yeah. operating edges. And, and just to play off of something you said with regards to supplier health, I mean, the, the suppliers who are around now and who will be around next year, you know, what are some of the things that they have already done or are actively doing now uh, to, to ensure their survival? Uh, I would I would imagine that not every prop and supplier is created equal, right? So can you just talk us through some of the measures that they may have taken to uh, to get themselves through this bottom they're living? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So in addition to what, everybody typically knows in the furloughing and the decommissioning, uh, most have strategically executed uh, what we call resource rationalization, where inefficient non-core assets uh, are shut down, which are usually also planned to divest, uh, add a little cash where and when uh, they need it. And they're production is consolidated into the most efficient, cost-effective, and logistically optimized facilities. It's a logical next step forward to help lower OPEX costs in this nearly unsustainable pricing environment, as well as making small steps toward uh, rebalancing the oversupplied market. Now, something else we've seen is that SAM sources have ran their plants hard and nearly at full capacity in order to realize cost-efficient and uh, highly utilized levels, even without having demand, while filling up their storage to the brim. Uh, in theory, this has lowered costs, and then they've continued to monitor the market while managing their capacity uh, according to how, how the market uh, has behaved. Now, we've even seen many sand sources sell large volumes while accepting delayed payment in the future. Uh, so we've definitely seen uh, many get creative and uh, unique. Well, well, maybe it's the uh, last, last bit. Okay, excellent. And before I move on to, to Paula with a question on the water market, if everyone will allow me a, a quick plug. So we have just released a new uh, sand mine location and capacity dashboard. We'll put the link up in the show notes. Uh, it is only available for clients, but for clients of our service, uh, provides a very dynamic map of uh, of that current supply for prop and, and and where it's coming from. So I think with that, let's uh, turn over to Paula. Now we are again moving all the way down the value chain. So we've gone from general activity to pumping to prop in, and now we're going to look at water. So Paula, going back to you again now, what does the upstream water market look like? Uh, making the distinction between the water that's consumed in the um, kind of well construction process, right? So drilling completion versus what it looks like on the produced water side uh, after oil and gas are being brought to surface? Uh, yeah, David. So, well, as I said before, um, water is no exception. And 
water, the water market has been significantly affected by the drilling and completion activity, coupled with the production curtailments. So, um, as you said, like we have two sections in this uh, in this market. So the main um, decrease in activity has come from, or volumes, I will say, comes from the decrease in, in uh, drilling and completion activities. But we also are affected by shut-ins, right, from, from those in the disposal market. The decrease or the production curtailments have been affecting that market as well. So overall, if we take into consideration everything that is happening in the market right now, the water management market is gonna is gonna be expected to decrease in this year, um, mainly uh, as a result of the value the, the volumes reduction and but also the pricing concessions, and the pricing concessions is is a very key element of what is happening in the market right now because. We've seen that uh, operators are requesting uh, the water companies uh, reductions in their fees, you know, some something between 15% to even 30, 40%, depending on case by case. And they also have been uh, changing the long-term contracts that they have with some of the midstream companies. So a lot of people were saying, oh yeah, the water market is safer, quote unquote, just because they have long-term contracts. But then what is happening is this, these water companies uh, have realized that keeping volumes in their system is really important for their economics. So they are willing to change these long-term contracts for monthly contracts with lower fees in order to keep that water going. So we've seen a lot of pricing decrease anywhere from like uh, the the companies that are focusing in, in, in the uh, fracturing section of the business, but also companies that are focusing on the produced water of the business. Uh, now, like it's clear that this market is, is a volume game. So those um, services that has been affected the most have been those that say, have seen a huge decrease in activity. So every se segment that is related to completions, sourcing, uh, pre-treatment, um, uh, recycling and flow back water services have been really affected by the current market situation. Okay, great. I say well, I say great. The answer was great, but unfortunately, the situation, like you said, uh, not so great. You did touch on one thing, which is very important. That's pricing. Uh, ultimately, all the research that we do as a group, we look at supply demand. But where the rubber meets the road for our clients is, in fact, pricing. So, Jesus, I want to go back to you now and uh, and see what your view is on pricing. Paula threw out some quite shocking numbers on the water side. Is that what you're seeing on the hydraulic uh, horsepower uh, fracturing side? Uh, yes, David. So, as Paula suggested, <clears throat> and Brandon had also suggested, you know, we see that continuous pressure from EMPs on these service companies. So the same applies to the pumping market, where you know, operators are just expecting uh, continued price concessions quarter on quarter. Now we do note that there will be price concessions within three uh, Q, four Q, um, but we do see them leveling out into 
uh, 4Q, 1Q, to the point where, because they already have provided so many price concessions over the past um, couple of years due to the overcapacity in the market. So even though operators want those price concessions, they will be receiving some of those price concessions. But the understanding is, is that they're, the price concessions they're receiving, they're essentially eating whatever margin was left within these pumping companies. So expecting continued pricing concessions quarter on quarter for a prolonged period of more than six months for new renewed contracts is unrealistic and and slightly could expose them to risk of dealing with certain uh, pumpers that are saying, yeah, we'll, we'll provide you this work at this almost um, unbelievable rate, but then there's a lot of factors behind the scenes that aren't, aren't being presented to the operators, the financial health of that company, the operational efficiencies that have been dramatically reduced due to the COVID-19 situation, due to the low oil prices. And so therefore, um, we do believe that, and we are highly suggesting that EMPs and uh, service companies develop more of a relationship when it comes to weathering out these, these next couple of years um, in this very tough market, where we do see potentially um, a more favorable environment for service companies is within the up-and-coming technologies for pumping with electric fracking or DGB or gas turbines, because those contracts are set in stone um, and are long-year contracts of one to two to three years. So there, there's a little bit more pricing flexibility for the service companies. Um, but currently, yeah, we, we do expect more pricing uh, concessions, okay. but that effect tapering out into the future. So hold that thought on EFRAC, because I do want to come back to that. Uh, before I do, though, uh, Brandon, I just want to get your thoughts on the profit side. So it sounds to me from your assessment like the profit market has perhaps bottomed out on price, but just want to get a couple more thoughts on that from you. I mean, is are operators asking for concessions? And if so, is there realistically anything else that they can be granted at this point? Uh, it's another great question. What mainly they uh, are doing, again, is trying to get as much as they can, but at the same time, provide as much transparency and to get as much as they can while supporting those vendors. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, in, the, in the long run, you still need the sustainability of of supply so there will be a number of buyers that simply will not be able to sustain their financial health over the medium run uh maybe in the short run but uh yeah the uh the dmp companies are still expecting low prices and uh suppliers are doing everything they can to uh reduce the cost and they're they're still finding ways so they are still asking for price concessions, but uh, they're not going all that low, and they're essentially just kind of scraping bottom. They are getting the concessions, but uh, they are getting creative. Like I said, we've seen some some scenarios where, where uh, the sources are accepting payments in the future uh, as opposed to now, so they're seeing delayed payments and a lot of creativity. So uh, it's it's interesting times, but yes, they are still giving. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So even in times like this, where uh, things I think you could say are still desperate, there's always someone else willing to give a little bit more. And uh, 
and it doesn't seem like there's an end to it. I think that's an interesting, it's a very interesting uh, kind of commentary and, and take on the market that, yeah, that there will always be someone uh, next in line if you can't provide the discount that the clients are looking for. So I yeah, think that's the structure of the market. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think now switch switching switching gears a little bit from more market considerations. We have a couple minutes. I want to talk some more, or I want to talk actually in a bit more depth about some of the the technical considerations here. And Jesus touched on those on the hydraulic fracturing side with with EFRAC, and I want to go down the line through everyone and just get some commentary on some of the the technical. Um, I guess headlines that I think are making the rounds in the industry right now. So, Paula, you know, you had mentioned shut-ins before, and you've actually run some numbers on the shut-in volume. So, can you just give a, an overview of what uh, you're expecting in terms of these shut-in volumes, and maybe some of the technical considerations that operators having to think about uh, in terms of planning to actually bring these wells back online uh, in the future when oil prices do recover? Uh, sure, David. Like, um. Well, let me start saying that for me, shut-ins will be a game changer uh, for the water market. And I think for multiple markets in the industry, right? Because the shut-ins are um, full of uncertainties and we don't really know what, what to expect once they are brought back into production, right? We, we've never seen this before and there's just like a lot of teams working on trying to understand what will happen after all these wells are back into production. So I'm going to talk from the, the water perspective and um, how these shut-ins are affecting the market per se. So there, there will be two effects related to water. First, once the, the wells are shut-in, we'll see an initial decline in, in produced water at the surface um, because we won't have any any uh, flow coming out of the reservoir, right? So we'll completely stop that um, water production. But then once we close that well, we'll see a significant downhole accumulation of produced water. Uh, then we'll need to be removed once the well is open. So there are two big questions here. And one of them is like, will the wells produce more water than before, like will the uh, water cut be higher? And that's something that um, we talk to experts and it really depends on base, uh, case by case, but although like the, the general concession there is like most likely we'll see more water uh, per well. And the other question will be like, eh, if, we, if we close these wells that are producing a lot of water, uh, are we going to create like a water block and it will uh, damage our well, right? So we don't know if that's going to happen or not. We know a lot of operators are very confident that wells are going to go back into production with no issues. But if um, once we bring all these wells back into production, then we'll see, we'll see a big, big increase in, in water volumes. And I think the big question is, is the water market ready to deal with all this volume coming back suddenly from yeah. flow back services to even disposal, disposal yeah. service. So, yeah. so it's, a, it's a big question, right? Sure, and I think you know one thing that's, that's interesting is, as we've been talking about this and listening to some of the technical talks out there, uh, it, it's really interesting to see how everything ties together and how decisions that people made prior to COVID 
were made obviously without having to think about what would happen if you had to shut in wells. And specifically what I'm referring to here uh, is that there's a question of what makes a good shut in candidate, right? Do you shut in a more recent well, which has a lot of pressure and will allow it to come back online? Or do you shut in an older well, which has better quality profit in it, which can therefore handle the, the pressure flexing of the well? And I think Brandon, that's a good segue into the, the technical aspect. I, I just want to get a couple thoughts from you on, which is, you know, Northern White versus regional sands. Is there, but prior to prior to COVID, it was all about, okay, it's it's good enough. The regional sand is good enough. It's cheap. Has the current paradigm shifted any of that thinking at all? Or are we are we back to Northern White now for a certain reason? Are we sticking with regional sand? What's your what's your thoughts based on your, your market views? Yeah, those, uh, you tied it up uh, pretty well there. Uh, and the question that you asked about which uh, wells are going to be candidates is going to be a tricky one, just as, as you said. As far as trends uh, on Northern White or regional, uh, it's going to most likely remain with uh, regional moving forward, with the industry hoping to not have to shut in as many wells. But when it comes to those shutting candidates, uh, you are correct as, as, as far as uh, the dilemma. So with the regional stands in, in the newer wells, the issue is the quality. Now, when you leave the uh, less quality regional stands downhole for that long and you shut them in, they have a a high risk of crush and, and uh, fines created, which uh, not only affects the uh, flow and the, the fissure, but as well uh, the flowback in your production e- equipment. So okay. it's, it's a it's a dilemma that that they're going to face, uh, but it's something that uh, will be interesting uh, as we move forward. The trend will remain uh, with the regional fans, which you kind of touched on, which uh, really a lot of times is referred to as fit for purpose. Okay. So I think let's uh, let's close it out, Jesus, with hopefully uh, an end on an optimistic note here. Let's talk about electric fracturing. I know that had been um, getting some interest end of last year. What are some of the trends that you're seeing now uh, with regards to, to e-fracturing in the next yeah, year, uh, two years? So one of the trends that we're starting to see is we're getting now reporting from EMPs, different varieties of EMPs with regards to the effects that they've, or the benefits that they've been seeing from electric fracturing from the past couple of years in regular day production. Um, CNX has recently released a couple of reports talking about the um, benefits that they received from implementing electric fracturing in Marcellus where they saw um, fuel cost savings of about two to three million dollars within that range. Um, we're seeing U.S. well services going in and solidifying some contracts um, in the beginning of the year for um, providing electric fracturing services as well. We're also seeing um, BJ services um, test test run their uh, gas turbine, their Titan series in production. So it seems that the EMPs are now more. They're in a they're in a beautiful situation um, for them specifically because they are dealing with an overcapacity of diesel fleets, um, 
so they can push pricing reduction there. But then they're also dealing with a technology that's at a maturity level now where it's fully viable for implementing in their operations moving forward and allow them to pivot to quote-unquote greener fracking solutions. So the electric fracturing market is a market that we do see um, continue to take on more and more market share as we have seen now post-COVID-19 because of the requirements of um, using smaller crews to avoid any form of spreading um, and electric fracturing does provide that because of the, lar- the smaller footprint in terms of crews. Um, and additionally, the cost savings that are still available there. And additionally, because activity is moving into those gas plays. So um, market share will continue to increase. We did see an, a dramatic increase of electric fracturing market shares for this quarter um, and into the next quarter projected because of the underutilization of the diesel fleets and the complete 100% utilization of the electric fracturing fleets. So electric fracturing has moved from about being 3% of the market to right now ranging anywhere from 15 to 30%. So these are estimates and ranges, but more on the higher end, anywhere from 20 to 30% of the market. So quite a dramatic shift. We expect this to continue being a trend. Um, and on a more important note, also within the overall pumping market. It's uh, important to note that a lot of these companies are finding themselves in very, these pumpers are finding themselves in very financially dire situations. And so one of the key things to look out for now is what companies are going to potentially consolidate together and consolidate their services, maybe more mergers in the future, Um, whether or not we're going to see more bankruptcies, which is probably what's going to happen. Um, so a very, very dynamic situation. We'll see how that affects the the availability of capacity if there were to be a, a dramatic increase in price. Um, but for the for the for the future, it's a very it's it's a tale of two two worlds, where traditional pumpers are seeing themselves um, in in a in a bad situation, and pumpers who have over the past couple of years. Uh, focused on developing and being ahead of the curve and developing new technologies and ways of operating. Um, Their uh, fracking services are seeing themselves eat up market share now post-COVID-19. Okay, great. So that is all the time that we have uh, for today. I want to thank my team for joining me. I think just to summarize uh, quickly the, the picture that we're looking at, it's uh, perhaps we can say that the worst is behind us. Uh, there looks to be some stabilization for 2020 onwards. Uh, I, I don't know that we can say we'll be recovering to historical highs um, as an industry, uh, but I think that we can see there's at least a path upwards from here. Uh, and that's uniformly within all the sectors we talked about today, uh, even if the, the speed and magnitude of those recoveries will, will vary by sector. Just a, a quick couple of notes before, before we close. Uh, I will, as I mentioned, link in the show notes to some of the material I mentioned so that will be our uh, previous uh, webinar done in March. Also link to a couple of the dashboards available to clients, both for propent and hydraulic fracturing that we just released. Uh, and also link to contact information for the various experts on our team if you uh, would like to drop them uh, a line and ask questions. And that's uh, an invitation that's open to clients or non-clients alike. So again, I wanna thank everyone for taking the time to join us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. And in the meantime, we do hope that everyone stays uh, well and healthy. Thanks so much again. Thanks.
Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.